You brainless fools. Do you think any number of you can stop me now? I'll get that serum if I have to take this whole place apart. And you with it. Welcome back and welcome to season two episode infinity of me and my friend Pete, another Donuts and Dimes production, the podcast that explores all things the amazing Spider-Man. I'm your host, Peter Parker's persnickety pal, Gerald. If this is your first time with us, welcome. If it isn't, welcome three times and back once. This week, we're running through the amazing Spider-Man number 32, Man on a Rampage. The penultimate chapter of the If This Be My Destiny storyline, regarded by many as one of the greatest comics tales of all time. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, All These Threads and Me Without My Crotcheting Needle, I suggest you run back and give it your ear as we're diving right into this one feet and arms and legs and hand and heads first. Spidey's found a way to save his darling Aunt May and it doesn't matter who or what's in his way as he tears through the city we know and love and that old East River we don't. We've got the master planner revealed. We've got Spidey and Dr. Connors getting sciency. We've got one of the greatest battles to ever grace the pages of ASM to this point and we've got no more time to waste. And we've got me. We've got you. We've got no further ado. We've got the amazing Spider-Man number 32. Man on a rampage. Let's swing! Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Just whatever the Spider-Man. Spin to us and the night. Just whatever the Spider-Man. Here we go. Here comes Spider-Man. Oh yeah! Look out! The credits. We've got script and editing by Smiling Stanley, plot and illustration by Swingin' Steve Ditko, with lettering and kibitzing by Artie Simek. And kibitz being a Yiddish word, one of its meanings being to give unsolicited advice. So now I imagine Artie overstanding Steve's shoulders just taking their ear off about the plot on this one. The cover. I remember saying just once I'd like to see Spidey on the cover having a little lunch, and I always, always get what I want. This cover is set in a sky blue negative space. On top of this, we get the amazing Spider-Man in Spidey New Roman, shade red with Spidey costume blue shading our hero's name. Beneath this, we have a black caption box connected to a picture-in-picture circle. And in this pip, Aunt May from the clavicle up in a purple hospital gown is sleeping with a slight frown on her face. Behind her, we see the arm of an orderly in a white coat with a red cross patch on its arm. The caption box reads, With his Aunt May gravely ill in the hospital, Spider-Man fights as never before. Beside this caption box, we get another, a blue-violet scream caption box with goldenrod lettering. So you know this one is about to be filled with property and collateral damage. It reads, Man on a Rampage. Beneath this, we already gotta start running up that tally because we have the golden liability on a goldenrod ground. A yellow brick road to be sure, and this one leads to destruction. Spider-Man, his body balanced on his right foot, is destroying a granite column with a straight kick from his left foot while ripping a metal staircase attached to this column from its landing with a mighty tug of both arms and his bare hands. He's got this staircase over his head and on it, a man in a green suit, his matching fedora flying, and a guy in a light brown suit, 
his magic fedora doing the same, are clinging to the staircase for dear life. Stage left of Spidey, there's an emerald green car on its side, a guy in a lavender suit standing behind it with shock on his face, and another guy in a brown suit in full sprint away from the web head, his fedora flying from his head as he tries to get out of the way of the Spider-Man on a rampage. Let's get into it. Page one opens to the amazing in black sketchy block lettering and Spider-Man in Goldenrod. It seems to be the end of the sign of the spider opening these issues, but I guess at that point in January of 1966, you knew who you were reading when you turned that page. Beneath this, we've got a large Goldenrod screen caption box. Prepare yourself for a startling surprise. You and Spidey are about to meet one of his most powerful former foes as the teenage web spinner plunges into battle, with every tick of the clock bringing him closer to defeat. Stage right and beneath this, in a pink arrow caption box, we get Under the Sea It Stands, the hidden headquarters of the Master Planner, whose band of strangely garbed criminals we met last-ish. Let's listen in. What's the pink arrow caption box pointing at? We're underwater, outside of the domed, futuristic secret base of the Master Planner from last issue in a gorgeous splash page. Fish swim around the base, while inside, the Master Planner is still monologuing something fierce. He ended last issue monologuing, he's starting this one doing the same. Am I always to be plagued by that sniveling Spider-Man? If not for his accursed interference, I would now possess the radioactive material I so desperately need. But he'll never ruin my plans again. His next attempt will be his last. We get a small pink caption box from Stan letting us know this happened last issue. And beneath this, a large white caption box, red font inside, giving us the title of this masterwork issue again in case we forgot. Man on a rampage. We turn the page. Page 2 opens to a scene of a large futuristic control panel being operated by three three-pronged metallic arms, all flipping switches and turning dials. Off-panel, the master planner has finally revealed what his theft of all the radiation equipment last issue was for, saying he's close to mastering lingering radiation. He goes on to say that his secret is still safe, that no one knows who he, the master planner, is. But we do. If the three-pronged arms weren't a dead giveaway, the next panel is. We get an image from behind of the man who gave our hero his first ever loss when he still wore Kanye shades and Timberland boots, Dr. Octopus, in a green jumpsuit as he fiddles with his device. The return of the one-man hands team. And this device, I gotta say, it looks like the death ray Dr. Doom used in the climactic battle between he and Spidey way back in ASM number five. Marked for destruction by Dr. Doom. Or the golden liability, always another day here on me and my friend Pete. So Doc Ock trying to save a buck, repurposing some Latvarian lion tech, I imagine that's what he's doing. Either way, he's saying radiation changed his life, making him what he is today. He goes on to say, and thanks to radiation, the world will soon again be menaced by Dr. Octopus, one of the most powerful, most feared human beings alive. The man calling himself a menace, he is far removed from the man we first were introduced to who was working with radiation for the betterment of mankind. The next panel, we get a shot of him in what will come to be his signature black tinted goggles as right fist clenched. He says that if he masters this radiation, there will be no limit to the additional powers he can have for himself and the powers he can give to anyone he wants. So Doc Ock's plan, simply, is to gain more power for himself and be in a position to share that power with those he deems worthy. Next panel, he makes a zoom call to henchman number two. Attention deputy squad leader, this is the master planner. Have your men continue to search for any and all atomic equipment for me. And the deputy squad leader is ready. He says, yes, sir. 
that they'll do that little thing until new orders come in, and with an over and out, he's gone. While on the surface, as Peter Parker walks through the press room of the Daily Bugle. So we're at 39th Street, 2nd Avenue, Midtown limestone building you can't miss it and we see the goldenrod kid in his mid-60s look that's open goldenrod vest white collar shirt top collar unbuttoned and sjb pants with some brown loafers he's walking from stage right to left an envelope in his hand in the background as betty the damsel seldom in distress in her fire red dress her bob flawless looks on she stares at him over her right shoulder thinking she was hoping he showed up before shouting at him to wait because she wants to talk to him. But petty Peter Parker ain't got time to stop. Betty, thinking Pete's pretending he doesn't hear her as he strolls with his head turned, runs down on him with stern words. Peter Parker, you can't keep avoiding me that way as though we're no more than strangers. And she's right. But Pete's thinking he hoped she'd be out to lunch because he didn't want to face her. In the final panel, Betty, putting both hands up to stop Pete, shouts that he has to tell her what's wrong, what she said or done. And I can't believe she doesn't see how telling Pete she's been proposed to and hasn't given an answer is a problem. But that's not all. Pete thought about proposing to Betty himself last issue, but if you recall, just when he was about to spill the beans on his double life, Betty lambasted Spider-Man, saying she couldn't ever marry anyone like that. That she wants essentially a steady guy who comes home nightly to his pipe, paper, and lady. That's ASM number 31. If this be my destiny or all these threads in me without my crotcheting needles. Here on me and my friend Pete. And that's what Pete's thinking now. How can I tell her the truth? She thinks she loves me, but if she ever found out I'm Spider-Man, she'd drop me like a hot potato. So for both of these reasons, Ned's proposal and Pete's double life, Pete can't see a future with his girl Friday. Page three opens with cosmic and comic timing colliding. And then Ned Leeds, the young reporter who has asked Betty Brant to marry him, enters the scene. Ned Lee walks up, his hair is goldenrod as Pete's vest and a green suit and blue and black striped tie, and he's got some words for the goldenrod kid. Peter, you're not being fair to Betty. She deserves an answer from you. And I think Ned's right, but it's not Ned's business. This is between Pete and Betty. Ned needs to mind his business. And Betty agrees. She tells Ned not to interfere. Pete, probably thinking the only way out is through, thinks, now's my chance to make her angry at me. And goes straight for the proverbial jugular in the next panel. Wow, creep. I don't owe Betty anything. We had a few laughs together, that's all. Maybe I've outgrown her. Cold-blooded. Betty shouts Peter. Ned asks Pete what's gotten into him. That Pete sounds different. Pete may say he's acting, but there's a lot of truth in it because as Ned puts both his hands on Pete's shoulders to calm him down, Pete, salt spilling all over the bullpen, thinks it's easy for Ned to be calm because he doesn't have an alter ego that Betty hates. He goes on to think he has to make Betty hate him so they can have a clean break. Ned asks why they can't talk about things calmly, but Pete ain't doing calm right now. He tells Ned to get his hands off him because he, Peter, has got things to do. But Ned's not soft. He replies, but you know how I feel about Betty. If you're not interested, why don't you just say so? And, uh, why'd he scream? Because Pete's shouting, I'm sick of people trying to tell me what to do. Now get lost. He shoves Ned into a nearby door as Betty, her left hand to her face in shock, shouts for Pete to stop it. But to be fair, speaking from personal experience, the last thing I want when I'm upset is a person I don't like telling me to calm down or putting their hands on me. And Pete's the same, and Ned's doing both. So get your hands off me, homie. We not friends. 
I bet that's what Pete's thinking. And on the other side of the door, we find... Pete's truly slammed that into this wall with force because J. Jonah Jameson in a white-collared shirt, red tie, brown slacks, and loafers, papers in his left hand, cigar in his mouth, sleeve rolled up, busy man as usual, is ducking low as books from the top of a bookshelf near the door topple down on top of him. Does he tirade? Are Albert Einstein's brain and eyeballs kept in a New York City safe box? Wait, of course he tirades. What in blazes is going on out there? He comes out of his office, both hands on his hips as Pete apologizes for getting carried away. JJ in his rhythm now continues. Parker, I never thought of you as the violent type. What are you doing here anyway? But Pete does have a reason. That envelope in his hands contain new photos for Pete's donuts and dimes accounts. As he hands them over to JJ, he thinks his actions in this moment must have made Betty hate him, that she'll probably go on to marry Ned and get over him. But he, Pete, well, he's gonna carry that torch forever. So Pete knows he's not getting the girl, but he ain't getting the money for these photos either. JJ, holding them up to inspect them in the next panel, shouts, You call these news photos? Just a few shots of some strikers picketing a department store? You're slipping, Parker. Translation, JJ don't care about workers' rights. Pete, looking crestfallen behind a miserable magnate with his hands in his pockets, thinks that since Aunt May's been in the hospital, he hasn't been able to do anything right. And JJ goes full-on disrespectful to close the page, tossing Pete's photos to the floor like so much trash, telling Pete he can't use them and not to waste his time unless he has something good. Pete's crestfallen expression goes to a scowl, as he thinks, You won't skin flint. You've forgotten all the great exclusives I gave you in the past. And he's right. But there's some issue gonna think, and there's some issue gonna say. And JJ says the last word. Don't just stand there. This is a visitor's day. Goodbye. And kicks Pete out of the office. But as the anguished youth turns to leave. Betty doesn't believe for a second that Pete doesn't care about her. And says so to open page four. Stretching her arm out to place a hand against the filing cabinet to block his path, she tells him he's just putting on this cold and uncaring act for her benefit. But Pete's deep into his method acting now and won't break character. Think what you want to. It's your privilege. Betty pleads with Pete, saying whatever's bothering him, they can surely face it together. But Pete doesn't believe that. We get a headshot of his and Betty's faces in the next panel, both of them with blue eyes. Pete's eye color still going when it wants to from brown to blue. And I'm starting to think when he gets sad, they go blue. He's thinking that if they did work it out together, she'd work out that he was Spider-Man. He tells her to forget it, that nothing's wrong or bothering him. He's happy as a lark. He makes his way to the door of the bullpen, his head down, hands in pockets as Betty looks on. And Pete's thinking, maybe it would make me feel better to tell her the truth about me, but I'd be sure to lose her anyway. And then she'd be burning with my secret also. I love her too much to give her that extra worry. Betty, clutching her collar, wonders if she could have been wrong about Pete that he may never have cared for her. Drama! Tad and Dixie, eat your hearts out. But even his tortured thoughts of Betty Brand are driven from his mind as Peter reaches the hospital where Aunt May is on the critical list. Pete's standing at the door and can't catch a break. A red-haired nurse is blocking his entrance, telling him that May, unconscious in the foreground, is too weak to receive visitors, but the doctor would like to speak to him. Pete says he'll go at once, thinking the doctor must have her reports back. And so, Pete's with a shiny black-haired doctor in the next panel who's holding a chart in his right hand, gripping the eyepiece of a microscope with his left, and he doesn't have any good news. 
He's telling Pete the doctors know what's wrong with May, but not how she got her malady. As Pete stares stage right and wide-eyed shock in the next panel, the doctor tells him that May absorbed a radioactive particle in her blood mysteriously, and they can't get it out. Pete shouts, radioactivity in her bloodstream, then thinks, it must be my fault. I'm the one responsible. His mouth still agape, his top lip nowhere to be found in the next panel, we see an image in his mind of him laying down in a hospital bed near May with a surgical hose between them as he realizes that he gave her the radioactive particle way back in ASM number 10. The Enforcers, or BCC, Dr. C.K. Connors, How to Plan. Here on Me and My Friend Pete, when she fell ill for the first time in the comic. But the radiation that gave Pete his powers wasn't so kind to May. And now she's fighting for her life. We already know Pete will forever blame himself for the death of his Uncle Ben. And though we know we can't blame him for violence done by someone else, this time, it's absolutely his fault. We know it, and more importantly, he knows it. His head lowered, his arms hanging limp at his sides, he listens to the doctor, who places a hand on his shoulder, telling him that they don't have much hope, but they're going to do everything they can, the doctors, that is, to save May's life. Pete thanks the doctor, saying he appreciates the man for his brevity and leveling with him. All the way home. The heavy-hearted teenager fights to keep control, but when the door shuts behind him at last. You know if I'm thinking it, Pete is too. Leaning on a desk in the den, his left hand gripping the top of a framed picture of Ben and May, Pete lets out all his frustrations, and I'm going to give the full monologue as Pete grows more and more frustrated through the first four panels on this page. I've always felt I was partly responsible for the death of Uncle Ben because he was killed by a criminal whom I didn't catch. And now, Aunt May the two people I've loved most in the world, who were like my own father and mother to me. Yet, their love for me, their kindness to me, has brought them nothing but tragedy. But it can't happen again. It mustn't. It mustn't. Not to Aunt May. She's been too good, too kind. I can't pay her back like this. That sound effect was Pete destroying the wooden desk with a double-fisted downward strike in the fourth panel. In the fifth, he screams up towards the heavens, both fists raised, in this hour panel of the week. It is a gorgeous panel showing frustration and anguish. Check it out at patreon.com slash HSPP. Back to his rage boiling over, he finishes his monologue. There must be some way to save her. There must be, and I'll find it. Somewhere, somehow, I'll find it. No matter what the cost, I'll save her. I imagine he takes a deep breath and thinks for a moment, because in the next panel, He's striding the length of the room towards the telephone, saying he knows one man with a brain big enough to help. A one Dr. C.K. Connors, better known as the Lizard. But Pete wonders if he can reach the man, because last he checked, Connors was still in Florida. That was ASM number six, face to face with the Lizard. Or, <gasps> Florida man wins Oscar, best male lead in poorly planned plot pursuing planetary power. Here on Me and My Friend Pete. Back to phone call follows phone call in a frantic, frenzied series until Pete's on the phone tracking down Connors and three different talking head pictures and is shocked to find that the man has moved from Florida to New York. There is hope yet later at the lab. Kazoom tight. Spidey is suited and booted upside down outside of the laboratory where May's doctors have been conducting experiments on her blood thinking Connors won't be able to help him without it. Spidey fires a web line into the room in the next panel towards a small vial of May's blood, showing off his accuracy, and snags it, pulling it from the vial holder and into his hand. With no time to waste, he web swings across the city, 
the vial clutched in his right hand. And after a dazzling spider-swift journey over the city's rooftops. Spidey's web-swinging into the window of Dr. Connor's laboratory and making no time for the niceties, tells the one-armed Dr. Kildare look-alike he needs his help, asking if Connors remembers him. And Dr. Connor says, of course, that without Spidey's help, he'd still be rampaging around as the lizard, being hunted by his fellow man. He puts his left hand, his only hand, on Spidey's shoulder in the next panel, telling Spidey to ask him anything, saying that if it's within his power, he'll get it done. And I just wanna say, that's the power of helping because you can. Connors is a busy man, usually way past busy enough, but knowing Spidey selflessly risked his life to save him, Connors is going to make time with a smile. Back to Spidey, holding up May's vial of blood says, a friend of mine has been stricken with radioactivity of the blood. Do you remember the research which gave you lizard characteristics? Could you use that knowledge to help my friend? Connors, taking the blood and putting it under a microscope, stares through the eyepiece of the device, saying he can't promise he'll be able to help. Spidey asks if the man will try, and Connors says, of course he will. His hand to his chin in the next panel, he says he's read of a serum known as ISO-36, ISO-36, over on the west coast of the country, that if the serum is as strong as they say it is, it might help greatly. Spidey says, look man, order it, that they can't leave any stone unturned. He tells Connors not to worry about the cost because he's going to return with enough money for all the expenses, leaping out of the window as he does. And Connors, ready to repay his life debt, says he'll call the coast immediately, that he won't fail Spider-Man. Two guys wielding that GPGR. Huh? Think about it. Minutes later. tight. Pete's back in his house and doing the on May for cash on page seven. Translation. He's boxing up everything he has worth anything, namely all of his scientific equipment. Even the microscope Uncle Ben got him way back in ASM number 15. Spider-Man. Or the origin stories. Here on Me and My Friend Pete. Back to Packing it all neatly into a white box, he's dejected, but says if it'll help save May, it'll be worth it. In the next panel, we're outside of a pawn shop as Pete haggles with the shop clerk inside. The clerk asks Pete if he's sure he wants to sell all this expensive lab equipment. Pete says every last thing. He needs all the money he can get. And you gotta know this isn't a small deal. On more than one occasion, Pete's scientific prowess has helped him in his crime fighting. From the vulture, to Dr. Octopus, to the lizard, to just last issue when he created a gas mask to deal with the master planners, purple clad goons, and countless others. Without the ability to keep his skills sharp in his downtime, his adventuring as Spidey may suffer. That's just what I'm thinking. But we gotta do what we gotta, and you can't make the donuts on dimes. And Pete surely made the donuts, because the next panel, a sad look on his face as the gray-haired shop clerk looks on, Pete's counting the wad of cash in his hand. The shop clerk thinks Pete doesn't look like the type to get into heavy debt, but also thinks that you can never tell. This debt is bigger than a loan shark, fella, if you only knew. Pete thinks that this money, along with the money he's withdrawn from his account, should be enough to get that ISO 36. The goldenrod kid has just cleaned out his lab and his savings account without a second thought. And so, tight. Spidey's leaping through Dr. Connor's window again in the next panel, shouting he's got the money, asking if Connor's got the serum. Connor says he brought every drop they had in stock and the ISO 36 is on a special shipment that should arrive soon. But Spidey's not just going to wait around. Rolling up his proverbial sleeves in the next panel, he grabs a vial and turning on a Bunsen burner, begins pouring whatever liquid is in the vial into a distillation flask atop the burner, shouting, now let me help you with the laboratory part of your work. 
I know there's a lot of preparation needed for when the serum arrives. And Connors looks on amazed, saying Spidey moves like a pro, and he's starting to guess that the kid isn't a full-time Spider-Man. Spidey says he may know a thing or two, but Connors is going to be the one doing the heavy lifting to save his friend, referring, of course, to Aunt May. Connors says with any luck, they'll be able to neutralize or eliminate the radioactive deterioration. In the final panel, Spidey's still hard at work. Ask what happens if it doesn't work. Are there any other options, or is this their only hope? But Connors doesn't allow doubt in his laboratory. He says they've got to make sure it does work and hopes the serum reaches them soon. Essentially telling Spidey that you gotta have faith that what you're doing will pay off in the end if you focus and work hard. Or as I call it, one foot in front of the other until you get where you're going. And we're gonna see if he's right. We turn the page and we're on... The Infinity, the Infinity, Infinity, Infinity page. page. Page 8. Just in time to witness Dr. Octopus, aka the Master Planner, on a FaceTime call with his number two man who's telling Doc Ock some good news. He's just learned of a shipment of ISO 36 coming in from the West Coast. This is, of course, the same serum Spider-Man had Connors order to save Aunt May moments ago. Doc Ock, glad for the news replies, it's just the thing I need to carry out my research. What a stroke of luck. In the next panel, he orders number two to pull out all the stops to get that serum. And all the stops means calling in every guy they've got and not letting anything stop them because Octopus must have that serum. He must. Number two, not one for small talk, says everything's arranged and the Purple Planner gang won't fail before hanging up. Ock in a red negative space next, his full body, husky but muscular, continues. I heard of ISO 36 some months ago when it was merely in the development stage. It could be the one vital key to my experiments, and fate is placing it within my grasp. That wasn't fate, Ock. That was Pete's chemistry set and his bank account. The nerve! Later that day, after the landing of a cross-country jet, we see a man in a tan suit and blue fedora walking off of a private tarmac with a cylindrical case in his hand. He's thinking, Dr. Connors must want this serum pretty bad to pay such a high premium price for his delivery. Right before he's struck in the back of the head by a planner gang member with a right hook who screams, We'll take that! The man pitches forward and a second planner gang goon lunges forward to grab the cylinder before it hits the ground, shouting that this was good work and he's got it. Cylinder in hand, he shouts that they've got to scram while they can as the man, still laying on the floor on his stomach, shouts for them to come back that they mustn't take the canister. Seconds later, at the laboratory of Dr. Connors. You know news travels fast in the 616, and Dr. Connors, his face cast in a goldenrod glow, is gripping a phone receiver to his ear, a look of shock covering his handsome features, as he shouts back what the person on the other line has just told him, namely, that the serum's been stolen at the airport, and the description of the perps fits the master planner's gang. Spidey, listening nearby, whips his head around, shouting, he got the serum? He leaps toward the window in the final panel, shouting at Connors to continue the work while he goes and gets the serum. This time, the master planner has gone too far. Wherever he is, whoever he is, I'll get him. Connors, watching his hero, shouts that his money's on the webhead and wishes him good luck. Spidey's on the move. On nine, as Spidey web swings high above the city, his feet facing the sky, he's going over his last two tussles with the planner's gang, thinking that both fights took place on or near the waterfront, so the base must be somewhere nearby. His legs out in front of him in the next panel as he shoots a spray of webbing with his left hand, he knows he can't search the whole neighborhood, thinking that search would take him days, so he needs to find a quicker way, and he's just figured out how to do that little thing. He web swings in through a window of the Daily Bugle's bullpen, 
causing a startled Betty Brant in a green blouse and skirt today, Bob on flawless as usual, to drop the stack of paper she's carrying. She screams, but Spidey tells her not to be alarmed, that he's looking for Jameson's guy with his ear to the street, a one, Frederick Foswell. Betty, an annoyed look on her face as she stares over her shoulder at Spidey, tells him the man left a few minutes ago. And Spidey's got no time to dawdle. Leaping back up onto the windowsill, he shouts, Then, if I race back to the street, I might spot him. Many thanks, Miss Brant. Okay, he may have a little time to dawdle, because as he leaps through the window, he chances a backward glance at Betty, thinking, When I see her that way, so fragile, so helpless, how I long to take her in my arms. Love thy name be torture. But this is no time to think of Betty. As Spidey swings, left hand clutching a web line, his right arm and legs wide above the street, he thinks, but this is no time to think of Betty. Told you. And there's the one I'm after. He sees Foswell, who's snazzy in a tan suit, orange bow tie, and blue fedora. His perpetual scowl on his face, cigarette in his left hand, right in his pocket, he's strolling down this crowded block, facing us, oblivious to the king of swing from Forest Hills, Queens, above his head. And Spidey gets spidery, scooping the man up in his right arm in the final panel as a guy in a brown suit looks on. He shouts for Foswell to go limp, not to tense up, and that he's not going to hurt the man. Foswell ain't so sure. He replies, Spider-Man, in broad daylight? I'm like, you finna hurt me with the sun out? You cold! On 10, Spidey drops the man off on a nearby rooftop and crouching low, pointing at Foswell with his left, clenching a fist with his right, gets right to business as Foswell stares at him, thunderstruck. Even though I fought you years ago when you were a gang boss, you've nothing to fear from me now since you've gone legit as a reporter for the Bugle. But I'm after the master planner, and you probably still have some underworld contacts that might know where to find him. Help me, and I'll give you a scoop when I've nabbed him. His piece said, Spidey web swings away in the next panel, telling Foswell that he can be a good friend or a bad enemy, that the choice is completely up to the reporter. But Spidey's not stopping here, thinking he's not going to sit around twiddling his thumbs while Foswell works, Spidey's got a plan. His plan? Turn the underworld upside down. And in the hours that follow, the amazing crime buster invades every underworld haunt he can find. In the next panel, we get Spidey kaboom. Guess who stepped in the room? Knocking a door clean off its hinges as he races into a room with both arms wide where no less than four goons are having a conversation stage right to left. That's maroon suit with a brown fedora, lavender suit, we've got gray suit in the building, and green suit with a purple fedora. Spidey shouts, I want info on the master planner, and I want it now. But green fedora's got other plans. He reaches into his blazer pocket, shouting, it's Spider-Man, get him. And we got action. Spidey is in no mood for talk and doesn't have time to waste either. He tells the men to spill it fast, and to show he's not playing around, he sends Maroon Suit's jaw north with a no-look right punch and levels the death between him and Green Suit with a left-handed hammer fist. Green Suit shouts, Look out! He's fighting mad! So you know that's a shout-out to fight and mad. DC's worst law enforcement duo seen in the Season 1 bonus episode where we covered Young Justice number 1, Young Just Us, or Nerds, here on Me and My Friend Pete. Back to... And Green Suit is right, Spidey is deep in play one of the Golden Liability playbook, which is fist, swing him if you got him. And if the kid ain't got him, he hits Purple Suit so hard with the right that the man flips upside down. I thought Chin North was the worst position you want to be in, but this man is poised to land on his face on the shattered desk. And Gray Suit? 
Spidey throws a no-look left, and his chin is north. His hand's thrown up like, Lordy, Lordy, this man ain't playing. Spidey, answering Green Suit's fighting mad comment, shouts, You bet I am, and I'll find out what I want to know if I have to tear this place apart, chasing the man across the room. But as the hours wear on, the answer is always the same. And I have to assume from the caption box that this is another hideout later in the night. But if so, Green Suit's got a twin brother who he calls every morning to make sure they're coordinating their outfits because they're dressed exactly the same. That or it's the same room. Bad caption box work. But you know, let's go fantastical. This is comic books. Back to. Either way, Spidey's working this green suit over in grand Spidey fashion. His feet pressed against the sheer wall. Spidey's got one hand gripping the seat of the man's pants, the other, the small of the man's jacket. And from this angle, it looks like Spidey's gonna smash this man's face into the sheetrock. The man, covering his face with his left hand, bracing for impact, shouts that he's being honest, that the only people who know where the master planner's base is are the man's own goons. And Spidey believes him, thinking the man is too scared to lie. But Spidey's too resolved to give up, thinking he must get that serious. Meanwhile, at the hospital. A white, black-haired doctor. This doctor's got a ton of product in his hair. It's shiny and slicked back like he's Pony Boy. So, Dr. Greaser is pulling his stethoscope from his ears and staring down at his still unconscious Aunt May. And he's going through it almost as much as Spidey right now. He tells the blonde nurse behind him that May's slipping into a coma that there's nothing more they can do for her. He gives May props for putting up a valiant fight, saying she has a tremendous will to live, but now her fate is in the hands of a power far greater than theirs. Those hands? And in another part of the city, Spider-Man carries on the fight as only he can. Spidey's web swinging onto the scene. The scene? Kari, maybe they know something about the master plan. We're in a New York City parking lot with high ceilings held up by cement pillars. Three guys, maroon suit, tan suit, SJB suit, Spot the wall crawler swinging through an opening in a pillar and break for a large set of metal stairs in the background. While in the foreground, another guy in a maroon suit, along with a guy in lavender, open the front doors to a green Oldsmobile and clamber inside. Lavender shouting, I heard that you've been tearing up the city lately, but why? They try to peel off, but what's an Oldsmobile to the golden liability? Nothing at all. The goons should have gotten a tank. Spidey lands in front of the car and grabbing it by its front axle, lifts the thing off its front wheel and smashes it through a concrete column screaming. Hold it! Nobody leaves until I say so! That means nobody! And Spidey starts running up the insurance premium of this parking garage. The Oldsmobile left on its side, he races towards the metal staircase and grabbing it by the bottom stair, tears it from the ground and shakes the goons climbing it loose. I imagine, like raisins stuck to the inside of their box, shouting that he has questions and the goons better have answers. The goons fall from the stairs and both pull pistols as Spidey tosses the entire staircase towards another column, obliterating it, shouting, and drop those guns before I really get mad. I'm through treating you punks with kid gloves. Both men covering their heads from the flying debris, Maroon Suit says they should probably listen and do what Spidey says. Tansu agrees, saying, I hear you talking, Charlie. Patoo. Charlie is talking since. But after long minutes of relentless questioning. Toe opens to Spidey standing in the debris of the once parking garage, his right hand on Brown Suit's shoulder, his left fist gripping Tansu's lapel. But despite Spidey's violent redecorating, he's coming up short. It's no use. These dime a dozen crooks don't know any more about the master planner than I do. So none of these goons have spilled any beans on the master planner, proving that Doc Ock is playing this entire scheme super close to his chest. 
while in his lab, Dr. Connors does some soul searching of his own. Dr. Connors has his entire chemistry set working right now. Standing in front of the chemical reaction occurring in the condenser, he thinks he can't be sure this will work, that he can't be sure the serum will assimilate with his own. So now we know Connors is hoping to make a compound serum using ISO 36 and the potion he's creating now, getting sciency. And so the seconds faithfully tick by until Spidey just webs swung onto the scene. The scene? Blasting! Another blind alley! This place is deserted! I'm rapidly running out of places to search! But as he touches down, his Spidey sense activates Spidey, using it as a guide, knows he's onto something. He crouches down in the next panel, and running his left hand along the concrete slab beneath his feet, finds a release mechanism leading to a trap door. The concrete slab gives way, revealing a stone staircase, and Spidey wastes no time in descending those steps, hearing voices, wondering what he stumbled onto now. And then, the elated web spinner sees... In this final panel, Spidey's hit pay dirt. Far beneath him, at the landing of the stairs, all standing in front of a yellow double door, no less than 10 purple-clad Planners Gang members. Spidey throws stealth and caution to the wind. I mean, to be fair, he hasn't used either tonight, so maybe he didn't even have them to throw to the wind, and wasting no time, leaps down towards them. His excitement's caused everyone on the ground to turn their heads north. One shouts, It's Spider-Man! Another, Look up above! And we got no, no, no! Buckle up, please! I'm serious! I'm not starting this wild ride until I hear that seatbelt fasten! Somebody is finna go through the window if not! Are you strapped in? Good! Cause we got action! Spidey clocks in, diving headlong into the planner's gang to open 13. The goose he doesn't drop from his fist, crumpling beneath his body weight. And Spidey is shouting, You're the ones who stole the ISO 36! Where is it? Where is the serum? One goon, falling towards the floor, his legs tangled up in the legs of a cohort, shouts that the man's gone mad. But the gang gets organized in the next panel. Five of them trying to dogpile Spidey. But the kid's got grit, and he always commits, and we know he's not messing around. He hasn't told one joke all night. A record to be sure. Leaning forward, still on his feet, he throws both fists out of his side and two goons go airborne. Another goon, racing towards Spidey head on, asks Spidey what he wants the serum for. Another coming at Spidey from the side shouts, what's the difference? That Spidey ain't leaving here alive. I don't agree and Spidey doesn't either. Bracing on his left foot, his body almost completely horizontal, he throws both fists up in an up and undercut and his right foot too and every limb connects with a gang member. Spidey is in his bag and he is talking his smack. You brainless fools, do you think any number of you can stop me now? Back upright in the next panel, he keeps swinging, both arms over his head, saying he's gonna get that serum if he has to tear this whole place apart to do it, while a goon shouts for the gang to rush in together. And they do, backing Spidey up against the wall. But Spidey isn't done. He goes to play four of the Golden Liability playbook. Play four. Back against the wall, Spidey's gonna leap. And he does. Ha! But despite the overwhelming odds against him, Spider-Man's incredible agility serves him in good stead. Time and again. Time after time, that agility is on. 
best ever. Spidey backflipped over the fray so quickly, they think he disappeared. Thinking that the planet's goons don't give up so easy, he lands on his hands, pushes huh. up from the floor, ha. and is running horizontally oh. on a sheer wall in a heartbeat, staged right in the very next panel, clubbing two goons as he races along the wall with both hands. And Spidey doesn't give a damn if they don't give up easy or not. But no matter how many they are, how hard they fight, I'm more than a match for all of them. As Spidey snaps yet another goon's head back, the goon shouts. We need help. He's too strong, too fast. What do we do? Asking ye shall receive, planner gangster. 14 opens to the double door sliding open as Spidey backhands another goon. And I'm sorry, planner gangster. I said you'd receive. I didn't say it'd be a lot. Spidey, spotting the door slide open, thinks this is very interesting and leaps headfirst towards oh. the door, knocking the solitary goon exiting out cold as he does with the right hand. This guy calls for backup and they sent one more guy. That's just cannon fodder. And I gotta say, Spidey didn't have to hit this guy, I'm sure. But at this point, that was a message punch. Mm. I'm coming for you. Our hero lands on his hands through the doors as they slam shut, thinking he just made it. Agility ha. on, best ever. But just outside the door. Number two is on a Zoom video call with the master planner, AKA Dr. Octopus, and he's telling his boss that Spidey's making his way through the secret tunnel in search of the stolen serum. Doc Ock, smiling, says he couldn't have planned it better if he tried. This guy's name was the master planner. He went on and on last issue when we didn't know who he was, talking about how he had plans for a Spider-Man interfered again. Here Spider-Man is interfering, and Dr. Octopus is saying, couldn't go better if I planned it. I'm convinced Ock is truly a genius, but he plans for Hot Rod. Well, he's not a good planner. In the next panel, his upper body cloaked in shadow, his arms curling around him, Doc Ock begins his monologue. A stroke of blind luck has given me the chance to dispose of Spider-Man forever. Lifting the canister of the serum in the next panel, he continues. And the vial of ISO 36 will serve as bait in the little trap I shall set for him. Silently, stealthily, Spidey gets closer and closer to the hidden undersea edifice until... That long tunnel connected to a great blowing bubble that I mentioned last issue? That was the tunnel Spidey's been walking through. We're outside and above the secret underwater headquarters, and Spidey, inside, has just reached the end of that tunnel, wondering what he's going to find beyond it. We see a door frame next, the yellow walls decorated with green square tiles, green orbs, and large green quarter circles on either side of the entrance walls. Spidey's thinking the master planner must have been warned about him coming, but crawling along the roof and into the final panel, Spidey thinks his spider sense doesn't detect anyone nearby, and more important, he can't stop now. On 15, Spidey creeps upside down along and beneath a curved platform towards the cylinder of ISO 36 that's sitting in the center of the room beneath a spotlight. I know it's a trap, and Spidey does too. He's not gonna fall for it either. Nice try, Master Plant, but no! Then, suddenly, unexpectedly, a sharp, high-voltage electric shock hits the spider-powered crusader with staggering force. Spidey, his body cloaked in black and white shadow, Gorgeous bit of art by Ditko working is zapped senseless, thinking, Ah! Everything's spinning! Can't hold on! Falling! I hope, at this point, you're all realizing Spidey's spider sense 
although a great tool in his battles, can be very hot and cold, conking out in situations where it should probably be on highest alert. But I'm going to no prize this by saying his spidey sense knows a real danger in the form of Dr. Octopus is close by, but not close enough to hurt Spidey, and is locked all the way in on the one-man hands team, deciding instinctually that Spidey can probably handle the electric shock. Not a backhand from that one-man hands team. Or it's comic books. Let it go and come on. Back to. So Spidey's just been shocked. But before the dazed, stricken youth can reach the ground, a hidden door slides open as four super powerful living tentacles lash out. And in a stunning panel, we see Dr. Octopus stage left stepping through the aforementioned doors, each of his mechanical limbs stretching towards the center of the room to grab our hero. Here on me and my friend Pete, Ox mechanical limbs are labeled. The R's are on the right side of his body, the L's on his left. The upper R's are numbered the 1's, the lower's, the 2's. So we have R1 gripping the upside down Spidey's right hand, R2 gripping Spidey's left. L1 has Spidey's left leg, L2 his right. It's a beautiful, beautiful panel. And you know when Doc Ox in Spidey's presence, he's gonna be talking his smack. So Spider-Man, we meet again, but this time, Alas, it shall be our final encounter. Never again will you interfere with the plans of those who are your superior. The superior Dr. Octopus, foreshadowing 40 years in the making. Spidey, blood rushing to his head, I'm sure, shouts that Dr. Octopus is the master planner and thinks, One of my strongest foes, and yet I must defeat him for the sake of Aunt May. So Spidey usually gets a little scared when Dr. Octopus enters a room, but not today, for Aunt May. He jumping into his bag. Still governed by a fit of fighting raging fury, Spider-Man uses his uncanny adhesive power to grip the floor as he does a sudden flip over. I mean, ah. the caption box opens page 16 perfectly, but make sure you imagine Doc Ock's fleshy hands looking downright ridiculous as his body is wrenched from the floor and flung towards the ceiling. My, how those turntables. The whole time, Spidey talking his talk, baby. I'm beating you in the past, and I'll do it again, no matter what you now call yourself. But Ock ain't so sure. He shoots back. You arrogant fool. You're fighting on my terms now. You having a chance here against me. Spidey's like, yeah, we gon' see. And both feet planted on the floor, grabbing the tip of L1 with both hands, hurls Doc Ock towards a large brown column. Ock, his arms as responsive as ever, avoids smashing into the column by wrapping R1 around it. But the stress from R1 squeezing still crumbles the column anyway. Spidey, three of his four limbs still being held by Ock's metal arms, is on the tiptoes of his right foot as Ox pries his arms open and clubs him across the face with what I guess is R1. Spidey, the whole time thinking that he should have suspected the one-man hands team was the master planner because of what the villain was stealing. Only atomic and radioactive materials, the two things that the man dedicated his life and studies to. As Ock belts Spidey across the face, Spidey, eating this little lunch, says it's good that this is exactly what he expected Octopus to do. He expected Octopus to punch him in the face with a metal arm, and he ate it. Mm, a little lunch. Dr. Octopus says Spidey's bluffing, but he's wrong, because Spidey, agility on best ever, slips the grips of the Octoclips and in a pose-like sitting, begins nodding Octopus's metal arms, quipping about it the whole time. But he's thinking, he's too strong. He'll free himself in seconds, but at least I gained some breathing time. And I've made a move the advantage of surprise. And if you can, check out this panel. This is page 16. This is panel number four. Spidey is literally tying these arms into knots with his hands and feet. 
Ditko and Spidey are working. Then, after Doc Ock has freed himself, as Spidey predicted, Spidey, property damaging rampager that he is, knows he has to press the advantage and keep Octopus's metal arms occupied. So he rips a secondhand Doctor Doom's fly from the ceiling and hurls that at Doctor Octopus, shouting, bumper. "If you expect to wrap those ten tentacles of yours around me again, forget it." Spidey reaches down and rips the metal lining from the floor just in time to use it as a shield. Blocking a, you can see it, two-pronged attack from R1 and L2. L1 and R2 fly towards him next, but Spidey, leaping behind another column as the arms crash through it, grabs Brand. R2 with his left hand and kicks L1 away with his right foot. Agility on, you already know, thinking he has to beat Oct quickly and decisively. In the next panel, we're above and behind Dr. Octopus, partially hidden behind another Pillar, as Spidey races towards him, carrying a huge chunk of column over his head. And this is the point. Ock knew he f***ed up. There's no way to fight him. No way to stop him. He's like a raging human dreadnought. I've got to escape. He turns and runs as Spidey hurls the column towards him in the next panel, sounding like a supervillain himself. You're not getting away. That turn will be mine. And you're my safe passage out of here. The column crashes into another column as Spidey lost his head. Ock stops running and spins back around, and we get a bird's eye view of machinery toppling towards the two combatants as Ock shouts at Spidey that he destroyed the main support beam and the cast iron upper all. level units are collapsing. the golden liability has finally run the premium up too high. Octopus, just out of the way of the falling machinery, shouts that they're both going to be killed. Directly beneath the falling machinery, Spidey tries to dive forward and out of the way thinking, No! Not now! I've got to survive! Gotta bring that serum to Connors! Seconds later, after the reverberations have ceased in the vast rubble-filled chamber, has Spidey gotten free? No! He's pinned from the waist down, pushing up from the floor futilely with both palms flat against it, thinking, Can't see Doc Ock! Don't know what happened to him! Everything is so quiet! So still! I've gotta get out now! No bones seem to be broken! But then, the weary youth hears an ominous rumble above him, and as he turns his head, he sees... A massive forked piece of machinery is sliding towards the webhead. And it's great art because this is a long horizontal and this machinery takes up half of it. Spidey in the background, small, still pin thinks. The largest iron unit of all, beginning to slide down towards me. It must outweigh a locomotive. I'll be crushed. And he's thinking he'll be crushed. I'm thinking he'll be skewered. I don't know what's worse, but I don't think it matters. Pinned against the floor to open 19, Doc Ock long gone, the prong machinery barreling towards him. Spidey goes to play two of the Golden Liability playbook. If fists don't work, there's always the shooters. He sprays his super adhesive webbing at the machine's joints to slow it down, emptying both barrels at the monstrous machinery. But no luck. It's no use. It's like trying to stop a battleship with a slingshot. I, I can't get out of the way in time. Spidey doesn't panic, though. As the machinery slides towards him, Spidey shouts that if he twists and turns just right, he'll be able to fit in a small hollowed-out area he's just spotted. And he does. His agility still from the waist up on best ever. I did it. I saved myself from being crushed. But even my great strength can't lift this thing off me. We get a shot behind Spidey next and we can see on the floor maybe 10 feet away what he came here for. The canister of ISO 36. 
Spidey says for all the good being pinned down does him, he should just be on another planet, that he can't reach it from where he is, and even if he could, it'd be pointless because of the position he's in. The camera shifts to the canister, laying on its side, as a drop of water hits it and slides over the edge. Spidey thinking, I can't bear the thought of failing on me, the way I once failed Uncle Ben. Wait, what's that? Looking up at the ceiling, he spots a slow leak coming from the roof, but it's getting faster and the drops are getting bigger. He shouts that if it doesn't stop, the whole river will come surging through. Twenty opens to Spidey shouting that he can't just stay here waiting for the end. He tries to push up from the floor, shouting if he could only lift it, but he can't even get it to budge an inch. Collapsing beneath the weight, his head lowered, he continues, dejected. It's no use. I'm too exhausted. Been on the go for days. Perhaps if I rest for a while. And all the running around, looking for photos to snap to pay for Aunt May's hospital bills, battling the cat on a rooftop, fighting with the planner's gang on a moving truck, and then on the Parker docks, and registering for college, has left the kid's tank on E. Take that nap, Spidey. You're gonna need it. And while the costumed teenager fumes at his seemingly hopeless predicament, May Parker slowly sinks deeper and deeper into her coma, one faint word softly crossing her lips. The word on her lips? Peter. So Pete's across town fighting for his life thinking of May, and May's here doing the same thinking of Peter. That's love. While directly across town, another man silently waits and wonders. Dr. Connors, his left hand pressed against his desktop, staring at his smoldering potion, is thinking if Spider-Man doesn't return soon, the ISO 36 will lose its potency. So Spidey's not only running out of time from that building collapsing, the radioactivity of the ISO 36 must have a very short half-life because it's gonna start losing the power of the effect that it will have to save May's life the longer Spidey lays there trapped. As many fathoms beneath the surface of the sea, we see a room filled with the Master Planner's gang. Number two, his hands on his waist, telling his team that Spidey doesn't have a chance against the Master Planner. Another goon chiming in that even if Spidey did escape, he still had to go through them. But behind the bolted door, unsuspected by the masked criminals, Spider-Man fumes in helpless rage as the drops of water fall ever faster, ever larger, faster, larger, faster, larger. What a caption box. I see you stand the man working. Spidey, his head down in defeat, with the dripping of the water falling faster and larger. Onto the machinery in the background and the ISO 36 in the foreground, Spidey, trapped beneath that machinery in the background, screams, I failed just now. When it counted the most, I failed. The issue closes with a caption box. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever befalls, this we say to you, you must not miss the next issue of Spider-Man. And now, till that glorious moment when you hold next month's copy in your eager hands, we wish you, one and all, happy web slinging. The end. And we're out. Talk about a cliffhanger. May on the verge. Spidey under the river. Ned Leeds under our skin. This was a great issue that showed off for the first time what Spidey will do when the people he loves are in danger. He quipped quite literally one time in this one. But the rest, he was a red and blue fury. The golden liability didn't come to talk. I noticed that in Spider-Man Homecoming, the battle between Spidey and the Vulture where they battle in that warehouse, destroying the columns, trapping Spidey beneath the warehouse, was directly influenced by the battle here between Spidey and Dr. Octopus. 
I hadn't read these issues before doing this podcast, but seeing this, it makes a lot of the times in the future when Spidey got more aggressive than I was used to make sense. I like to think of him as a happy, never-go-lucky survivor of Hard Knocks, but in moments like these, he's definitely flexing a lot of the power he tends to control responsibly. He was throwing goons left and right. He punched that dude upside down. Look, I can't get over the fact that that man's face is going to smash into that desk. The beauty of comics is he's frozen there forever in time, so he may never feel that ouch. Just goes to show that Spidey always leaves with a great deal of restraint. Next week, we get the conclusion of this amazing tale and the amazing Spider-Man number 33, the final chapter. That's the main episode this week. And that's true. That's the main episode. But there is more me and my friend Pete available for your listening pleasure right now. If you support this show on patreon.com slash hspp, patrons get a bonus show every time we drop a new episode here where I run through comic books from all over the multiverse of comics, past and present, from Marvel to DC to all points in between. This week, Secret Invasion number one. The Marvel Comics crossover event that had the green-skinned scrolls infiltrating the 616 universe, causing heroes and villains alike to wonder, who do you trust when anyone can be the enemy? If we've got comics, we've got history, and I'll be your guide through it all. Join us. This podcast is completely listener-supported, and your support keeps this crazy train on the tracks. I'm truly grateful you keep coming back, and more grateful you allow me to be the conductor. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, a special thanks to the home team. Parker's Dirty Dozen. Sign up now. Vote on bonus episodes. Make it a baker's. You won't regret it. If you sign up before ASM number 50, you receive a special thank you lapel pin for being a patron during season two. Let's keep these good times rolling. You got questions? Send them to me in my friend Pete at gmail.com and I'll go digging for the answers. Follow us on Instagram at MNMFP underscore podcast. The panel of the week can be found at patreon.com slash HSPP. All that said, that's all that said. That dusty trails are calling, so as always, please like, please comment, Leave please share, please, please why don't you? take care, and please think of the world and be true to yourself. And remember, with great power, you know the rest. Make sure you're being responsible. I'm out of here.